and slayers this is mixtress ray and you're listening to what's this bitch talking about to which the answer to that question is every episode of buffy the vampire slayer exactly within a day or two 20 years after its original air date so i'm filming it filming i'm taping a day late today because um this is just a really hard episode and i was very exhausted from work yesterday. So I was just like, I was physically exhausted. So I didn't feel like making myself emotionally exhausted at the same time. So I put it off. I hope you guys, I know you guys will forgive me because none of y'all ever say shit about me being late. So I assume that means you don't care too much. Um, okay. Let's get into it. Okay. It's funny because I was thinking to myself right before I press record, this is not why I started this podcast because this episode always makes me cry at the very end. Um, which, okay. So today we're talking about dead things. Here's the episode description, which is very vague. According to Nikki Stafford's episode guide called bite me. When one of the Troika, Troia, Troia, hmm, Troika's the trio. No one calls them the Troika. Um, when one of the trio's evil plans goes awry, they set Buffy up to take a serious fall. That's the description of the episode. To me, this is the one where um, they, the trio attempts to rape Katrina and kill her instead. Um, Buffy cries in Tara's lap Spike fucks Buffy in the balcony of the bronze while forcing her to look at her friends. This episode is, I think, the most upsetting of season six so far, but it's not the most upsetting of season six, period. We will have a bit, I mean, next episode is sad, but it's, it's much emotionally, it's easier to get through, I think. Um, so, okay. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. I'm here. I'm queer. You're already used to it. <laughs> That's something that I say to myself a lot. I'm not sure I've ever said it out loud in the presence of others before, which I'm not physically in the presence of others at this exact moment, but other people will hear me say this later when I upload the podcast. Just a uh, full disclosure, um, because I'm still, I'm getting over COVID. <laughs> um, one of the side effects of recovery for me seems to be, and I, and I'm doing a lot better. Like every day I'm doing better. Like today I'm miles better than I was yesterday. And you know, that's how it is. But one of the side effects that is still lingering is like brain fog. So I keep saying things in like the weirdest order. Like my sentences are all discombobulated. So you probably noticed that last week. I'm sure that was still happening. That was happening last week too, but I've been noticing it more this week. Anyway, um, I did highlight a few things in the episode guide. So I'm going to read those before I, um, 
make my ambiance because usually I sit in a dark closet at night with some candles lit and right now the light is on because it's easier for me to see the episode guide with the light on. Um, so let's do that before we create our ambiance, shall we? So she had some, Nikki Stafford had some interesting things to say in the episode guide. Um, so I wanted to share those with you. Um, first she said this was a great episode that turned the trio from a trio of funny, nerdy geeks into vile, hateful, misogynistic little boys. True. Um, I mean, always we've, we've been seeing that like Warren is capable of actual evil, but, um, in this episode, it's kind of a turning point because, you know, we get, I mean, not to jump ahead, but whatever, we're jumping ahead. The moment where, um, Katrina says to the three of them, whenever like the spell has worn off and she realizes what's going on and she's fighting back, she says to all three of them, particularly she turns to Andrew and Jonathan as if she already realizes that they, they don't understand what's going on, but she knows that Warren does. Um, she's very smart. And she just picked up on that immediately, but she just turns to them and she says, um, I actually wrote it down. So since I'm jumping ahead anyway, I might as well just jump ahead to that. What she says. Um, I did have a lot of notes for this one. So where is it? Okay. This is not some fantasy. It's not a game. You freaks. It's rape. Like she has to actually say that to them for them to understand what's going on. And immediately both Andrew and Jonathan are like, oh shit, she's right. This, no, that's not what they meant. That's not what they intended. They just, they didn't understand. And it's very weird to wrap your head around. I'm definitely getting ahead of myself, but whatever. It's very weird to wrap your head around that in 2022, but I remember, I remember when I first saw this episode and it was as it was airing. Um, I remember 2002. I remember until Katrina said it's rape. It didn't occur to me throughout this whole episode. They said they were going to use this cerebral dampener thing to make any woman they desire their willing sex slave. And that's an immediate, holy shit, what rapey crap is this realization now in 2022, but culturally speaking, this was not something that ne necessarily set off the rape radar in, you know, in a lot of people's heads. I think that needed to be said in the script. I think she needed to say to them, this is rape for them to fucking get it, for us to fucking get it. It wasn't just Jonathan and Andrew she was saying that to. And that's really fucking sad. But, I mean, that's a big takeaway here is that at least I, I really do think that society has progressed a bit as far as sexism is concerned since 2002. In the last 20 years, we've made some progress and it's nice to see that happening. You know, like, I guess 
being that I'm almost 40, I have a little bit of perspective. You know, this was half my life ago that this episode aired, you know, and it's weird to say, <laughs> um, this was half my life ago when this episode aired and the perception, you know, I don't think it would need to be said so blatantly in an episode now like this. I think you would automatically make that connection in the very beginning of the episode, you know, like, oh my God, this is so creepy. Oh my God, they're going to just rape some girl and that's okay. Because, you know, that wasn't, we were supposed to make that realization with Jonathan and Andrew. And in 2002, we did. I mean, I'm speaking, I shouldn't speak for everyone, but um, as a like 19 year old girl seeing this, I did not put that together until the character said those words. And I think that that's an important thing to bring up, possibly the most important thing to bring up for me today. Okay, I want to finish a thought that I started like, who knows, five minutes ago. Um, when I was like, you know, in a heap crying at the end of this episode a few minutes ago, <laughs> before I pressed record, I was thinking to myself, this is not why I started this podcast. And then, and then like a half a beat later, I was like, no, this is exactly why I started this podcast to talk about episodes like this. Like, sure, it's fun to talk about the silly episodes, but you know, I'm also here for the really upsetting shit to talk it through. And that's, so that's why, and I know I say this like every, every freaking episode in season six, I say the same fucking thing, but, um, you know, I, season six has always been my favorite because of what the kind of trauma that it tackles, you know, it is cathartic for me. It's healing. Um, yeah. Anyway. Um, so let me get back to the other stuff that, that I highlighted in the Nikki Stafford episode guide. The way Buffy, and, and this is something that I point out later in my notes as well, so this will come up again, but the way that Buffy unleashes her fury on Spike at the end outside the police station where she just starts punching the shit out of him um, was similar to Faith beating up Buffy in Who Are You? Faith beating up, um, you know, Buffy in Faith's body. It was exactly a parallel to that situation. And there's other parallels between Buffy and Faith's relationship in that scene as well. Going back to um, whenever Spike says to her, she says something like, a girl is dead because of me. And Spike says, and how many are alive because of you? you know, talking about the, the scale of like, and you would think like, this is a topic, a topic that comes up in Buffy only twice, I think. And like the entirety of the show is the idea that as a slayer, you know, there might be an innocent bystander that gets killed every once in a while. I mean, you would think that a watcher would especially like between Watcher and Slayer relationship, like part of the training would be like making sure that this doesn't happen, but also there would be protocols in place for when it does, you know, because if you really were on the front lines of, you know, a battle between good and evil every night 
as the slayer, the one and only chosen one, there would inevitably be inevitably be a casualty every once in a while, a human death, you know, just like what happened with Faith. It was a total accident when she killed that deputy mayor. She didn't mean to. And yeah, there was some trauma shit that was blinding Faith that maybe made that more likely to happen in that particular case, but it still was an accident. And the way that they handled it with Faith was very bad, but Buffy's in a different circumstance. You know, if she had actually killed someone accidentally, everyone would support her and they would have then and they would now. You know, Giles would come back from England to, you know, be there to support her, I'm sure. Um, you know, and it's not saying that, like, it's okay if she killed someone. You know, that's not... what Buffy, above all things, is, you know, the thing that's driven home the most in the show is morality. Good versus evil, that's what the show is all about. And that means that it's kind of an absolute Buffy can't kill someone. Like, I think, I think if this had been a different plot point where she had actually accidentally killed someone, it, it would have, I think they never would have gone there. I think the show never would have gone there because it, it's such an absolute for, for Joss Whedon probably it's probably him that she not do that that she can't do that whereas it's different with angel he has different rules because he because he's a man honestly that's why he has different rules but um like it would be different for him he could there could be an accidental death at the hands of angel and there possibly even is anyway speaking of angel so I have not been keeping up with Angel because it it's on a different night. It just isn't. So it's not something that I'm doing exactly 20 years later kind of thing anymore. Um, but I, th I had an idea the other day. So I think how I'm going to do this going forward, because I do want to still watch Angel, but it's just not really working out right now to watch it in tandem with Buffy. Um, and I don't think there's going to be any other crossovers between Buffy and Angel at this point. I don't think, um, I could be wrong about that, but I don't think there are any plot points that really cross over that much, except for Angel does come onto the Buffy show at the very, very end of season seven. Anyway, so what I'm thinking for now, anyway, that my plan is, just in case you guys are wondering why I haven't talked about Angel lately, I'm totally behind. Like at this point, I haven't watched any since we came back from the break, um, from the Christmas break. So I'm probably three to five episodes behind at this point. I'm not sure exactly. I haven't looked it up yet. Um, so my plan is whenever we have a break in talking about Buffy, I will... And that happens pretty frequently. I will catch up on Angel and then I will have special episodes where I just talk about Angel. So what I'm thinking is because two weeks from today, there will not be a Buffy episode to talk about. I'm thinking that, you know, depending on how many episodes there are, I may not get, I may not get completely caught up, but I might just like watch 
two or three episodes and talk about those. And I'll keep track of, you know, how how behind I am and all that shit. And we can just catch up anytime we have a Buffy break on the Angel episodes. Excuse me, I'm drinking LaCroix, so I'm burping. Okay, <laughs> let's get back to... Um, okay, that's that's it as far as, like, my notes from the episode guide. So now I'm going to take a little pause break and... Um, I'm going to light some candles and make my ambiance all nice and pretty. I'll be right back. Okay, let's talk about dead things. Um, so it starts with um, the sound effects of, you know, Buffy and Spike's violent sex sexcapades. <laughs> and then they have a little conversation from under a rug, which don't even get me started. Michael's like, how does he have so many Persian rugs? <laughs> Where did he get all of those? <laughs> um, so Buffy and Spike start having a weird conversation about decorating. Like Buffy tells him that he's made that the crypt really nice. And he's like, I ate a decorator once. Maybe something stuck. And she kind of laughs at that. Um, so they're having like a civil kind of... Okay, so the thing... Like I get it. I get the whole... We're doing a season of abusive boyfriend allegory here. I get that. Um, and I'm on board with that. I think Spike is a bad boyfriend. I'm on board with that. Y'all know that. But um, it's, he's very, in his, his character is very inconsistent right now. And that doesn't, it doesn't sit well with me, I guess. Um, he and he vacillates between these two personas throughout this episode of like, um, like right here, he's being, you know, just sweet and supportive. And he's actually asking her questions kind of like, where's this relationship going type questions. And he's being, being very honest and, um, you know, caring and all of that stuff. That stuff that we're used to with Spike. We're used to Spike fawning over Buffy and being very, and, and he definitely is consistent in that he's obsessed with her, of course. But the thing that, you know, the thing that he's been doing, like whenever he fucks her from behind on the balcony of the bronze later in the episode and, and he makes her, he tells her to keep her eyes open and look at her friends and how they could never understand what she's doing because she belongs in the dark with him and blah, 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 all that abusive boyfriend language shit. I just feel like that doesn't track with who Spike is. Like, yes, he's capable of being an abusive boyfriend. We've seen him be an abusive boyfriend towards Harmony, but that's not something that... And I get him being like, and he's, it tracks that he's manipulative. It's just him vacillating between this persona and being completely 100% supportive of Buffy and whatever she wants to do and trying to take care of her and demonstrate his love for her. These two things do not match, but I guess, I don't know, I guess that tracks too, because whenever you actually are in a relationship with an abusive boyfriend, they are absolutely obsessed with you and they could like hit you and then 10 minutes later tell you they love you more than anything else in the world um that was what my dad was like <laughs> um and it's 
yeah, so I guess, I guess in a way that tracks, but just, it doesn't totally sit right with me how he's, there's two sides to Spike, you know, and it's just, it's so insidious, this whole, I'm the only one that could ever love you, you belong in the dark with me, versus I will do anything for you, I love you, you know, I mean, these two things do not match up, which makes sense because he's a soulless vampire. These two things are not supposed to match up, but I'm just saying it bugs me. Um, he says at one point, are we having a conversation? And what, what are we to each other? Like, what is this? You know, he has like a state of the union, he has state of the union questions of their relationship. Um, and while they're under the fucking rugs. And then he, says to her that he's never been with such an animal and that's when she turns you know like usually she'd be out the door 10 minutes ago as soon as he starts like having a real conversation with trying to have a real conversation with her but um so yeah whenever he says i've never been with such an animal she's very upset by that so this entire episode is buffy thinks something's wrong with her. Like maybe she came back wrong um, because she continues to have this sexual relationship with Spike. And so she's wondering what's wrong with her. And, you know, she's just so confused as to what's happening with herself. Sorry, I'm adjusting my my seating situation, my floor pillows, they were off. Okay. They have to be perfectly symmetrical with this thing that's in front of me. <laughs> um, do you even like me is another question. I mean, like just this sort of insightful, emotionally vulnerable spike right here is just so different from the manipulative one that we see later in the episode. But I guess this was just sort of a little open door moment where he realized that she was um, receptive to having kind of an honest conversation. So he took it and ran with it. Whereas most of the time they're just, they're definitely not honest with each other, you know? Um, and at one point he says, do you trust me? And she says, never. And I think that's really telling because she means that she does. She means that, that she would not trust him ever, which is exactly why she could never love him, <laughs> which my mom's always arguing with me. No, she does love him. No, she doesn't because she can't trust him and you cannot love someone if you don't trust them. You just can't. I mean, I can't anyway. I mean, anyway. Um, it's, I just think it's not love if trust isn't there. It's something else if there's no trust, but it's not love. That's just, that's how I feel about it anyway. So then we go to the trio. They're working on the cerebral dampener. Doesn't that sound like the most ominous thing ever? Um, and then they say, we can make any woman we desire our willing sex slave. That right there, that sentence right there is not a sentence that set me off as being rapey in 2002. Because just the sexism in our society was so much more rampant than it is now. Um, not to say that it's like 
100% better now, but it's, but it is better. It is noticeably, demonstrably better, I think. Um, Tara goes to see Buffy at work because she asks to meet with her. And that's when Buffy asks Tara to look into the circumstances of the spell because she tells Tara that Spike can hurt her, which she has not, I, to my knowledge, she hasn't said this to anyone else. I mean, this is a normal thing that, that she would normally, under normal circumstances, she would bring that up. She'd be like, so Spike's chip is working, but he can hit me. Let's figure this out, guys. And then they would go into research mode and figure it out. But she didn't tell them because she's feeling so guilty about herself, about her apathy and depression that she's experiencing. She doesn't want to admit anything. She doesn't want to say anything out loud about how she's been feeling to her friends. So, I mean, that's the entirety of this season, right? But, um, so yeah, so she hasn't told them even that much, but she tells Tara and Tara says she'll look into it and let's see if there's anything else there. Oh, and Tara kind of asks about Willow she assumes that's why Buffy wants to talk to her. And um, Buffy says, no, this isn't about Willow. Willow's been doing really well. You'd be proud of her. Um, there are two different instances in this episode where Buffy uses Spike's words to describe herself. And I think that this is probably intentional. Um, like she's starting to believe the worldview that the manipulations of who Buffy is, she's starting to believe what he tells her about herself. So another abusive boyfriend thing, right? So he told her whenever he first discovered that he can hit her and that it wasn't that the entire chip was malfunctioning. He told her she came back wrong. And that was several episodes ago. But now she says those same words to Tara. I came back wrong. Those same exact words. Um, so then we go back to the trio. They have now charged up the cerebral dampener. Warren's wearing a suit and he goes in to, he has like a little camera on his tie pin thing and he goes into like a bar and I guess it's somewhere that he knew that Katrina frequented. He did not tell the other two this about Katrina. They don't, they don't even know her. But he went there and he selected her and he has a conversation with her and she's very fucking clear with him. She's like, she tries to reestablish boundaries. She's like, I did not want to see you ever again. And they have a conversation and she completely shuts him down. And then I think at some point we are, we're just going back and forth between this scene and um, Buffy comes home from work and everybody's there and um, they invite Buffy to go to the bronze and have tall glasses of frosty relaxation on me, says Xander, nectar of the working man. <laughs> tall glasses of frosty relaxation, nectar of the working man. She at first just wants to stay home with Dawn and you know, watch a movie, eat some popcorn or something, but Dawn's going over to Janice's. Not like she knew she'd be home anyway. Um, so we're getting just like little hints of, you know, 
Dawn feeling very abandoned by Buffy. I mean, we've gotten hints before now, but the next episode, the one we talk about next week, is going to be all about that, because that's the one that's Buffy's birthday, where Dawn um, makes the wish to Hallie, the vengeance demon that's friends with um, Anya, and they all get stuck at the house. So that's the episode next week. Um, So Buffy decides to go with everybody to the bronze because... um, Dawn's not going to be around. And um, let's see, where are we? Okay, and then we go back to, they've got Katrina back. They've cerebrally dampened her and they've got her back at like their basement or whatever. Warren's basement. And they've got her in a fucking maid's outfit and she's serving them champagne and... It's just so upsetting. It's just so upsetting. Um, and then they toast to crime. <laughs> to crime. And then there's this funny moment where Andrew takes a sip of the um, champagne and like kind of coughs and says, crime tastes funny. Which, haha, so cute. I mean, we love Tom Link, of course. But <laughs> this is just... So upsetting. Anyway, um, let's see. At one point, Warren says, she's mine. You can play with her all you want after I'm done with her. Because they're, like, discussing, like, who gets to have sex with her first, you know? Which is awful. Anyway, um, I also thought, one of the notes that I took was, I think that... In 2002, particularly, we, as in any viewers watching this episode, would have been slightly less upset if this were some random girl. But we are particularly upset because we recognize Katrina, which is, which is sad. I mean, like, I think we would have made even less of a connection to this being wrong, what they're doing, if it had just been a random person. I don't know. I mean, not that we'd think it was okay, but we'd be even less triggered in 2002 that this is a rapey situation if we didn't recognize Katrina and already see her as a human being. Because it was just very, very common for many different TV shows and movies to portray women as just being total objects and completely expendable. All the time. All the time. Um... And then, yeah, my next note is that it genuinely didn't occur to Jonathan and Andrew that it, that what they were about to do was rape until Katrina said it to them when like the dampener thing just randomly stopped working for some reason. And she realized what was going on. Um, Buffy and Willow are having a conversation at the bronze. So we're just going back and forth between these two scenarios throughout this entire part of the episode. Um, And Buffy asks Willow, so you're still doing okay? And Willow is like, well, you know, some days are harder than the really hard days, (laughs) you know? So Willow is really the only one right now that's working on her shit. You know, she's the only one that's admitting that she's not doing that well and taking steps to improve her life. She's the only one. Um, let's see. I like when Anya 
there's just it's so sweet the whole like them dancing thing you know Anya and Xander and Willow are out at the bronze just trying to have a good time they're just dancing and Buffy can't join in because she's depressed and um and Anya has this moment where she you know just says come share in the joy of our groove thing (laughs) and willow succumbs but buffy cannot because she needs to go get more frosty nectar and um she goes up to the bar and just sets the cup down she doesn't get another drink and that's when she goes up to the balcony and spike just shows up immediately so that means that he's just like being stalkery anyway so he was there watching her watching her not engage with her friends and decided that this would be a great moment to be manipulative and he just literally like pulls up her skirt and starts fucking her right there and it's just so upsetting to me because and okay i mean we're we're getting there (laughs) we're eventually gonna have to talk about seeing red which is the episode where spike attempts to rape Buffy and this is an important moment to remember because I mean this is one of several moments where you get that the consent in their sexual relationship is blurry to begin with because she's constantly saying to him no when she doesn't mean no and so it actually makes some sense that he is confused in seeing red, but it's still pretty clear that her no is an actual no in that moment. And we'll get there. But in this one in particular, you know, he's starting to pull up her skirt and she says, don't. And his response is stop me. And she doesn't. So this is, is a consensual situation but it's still pretty fucked up and you know it just demonstrates kind of how Buffy's really hating herself right now um she's hating herself because she's into Spike she's hating herself because she's not in heaven anymore, because she's not feeling right, because she's depressed, because she has to work at stupid double meat palace, blah, blah, blah. Like she's more self-loathing at this moment than she ever has been in her whole life, for sure. And Spike wouldn't have, like she says later in the episode to Tara at the very end, why do I keep letting him in? And not only like literally letting him into her vagina, but also just letting him in. Why does she keep letting him in? And the reason is because she hates herself right now. You know, that's the only reason why he can affect her at the moment. And it really is a situation where this is, you know, why I will go to my grave saying that she doesn't love him. Even at the very end of season seven, she doesn't love Spike. She, and it's even like said, quite frankly, when um, Angel and Buffy are having a conversation about Spike 
at the end of season seven. So I'm really jumping ahead here, but, um, he asks her like, do you love him? I think, I think he just literally says, do you love him? And Buffy is truthful with Angel. She just says, he's in my heart, you know? And I think that that is a meaningful distinction. Like at that point he has a soul and there's a potential for love there, but it's not completely there yet. And it, it gets there in the comics. Like at a certain point, she does love Spike in a way in the comics. But at this point, no. And throughout this series, no. Um, let's see. What else did I write? Um, next morning, Willow is wearing the shirt. <laughs> um where are we? Like, did I not write? Did we not see the part? Oh yes. Okay. I skipped over this. So we have now seen like, so this moment, let's go back to this moment where Andrew and Jonathan realize that what they're doing is rape. When Katrina specifically tells them that that's what they're doing and they realize it and they're both like, Oh no, no. Oh, oh my God. You know, they, you see them realize it, both of them. And Warren knew all along what he was doing. Um, and she starts to run away and, um, Warren tells them to grab her and they do, but they don't really like, they're just kind of in shock at the moment. So they let go of her and, or she gets away from them. She's pretty strong and she fights back like for real. She starts going up the basement steps and they're trying to stop her and where the fuck is Warren's mom during all of this? Like, cause we know that this is his mom's basement, right? <laughs> where is she? What is she doing? She's like, they never even talk about her. But anyway, um, so she starts going up the stairs and like Warren tries to grab her. She turns around and pushes him. He tries to grab her again. She scratches his face and then he hits her over the head with a bottle and she's dead. So at this point, Warren and Jonathan both have realized what the fuck's going on. Um, Warren says they're talking about like, what are they going to do? Jonathan's like, Buffy's going to figure this out. And Andrew's just freaking out, rocking back and forth. Um, and Warren says that he has a plan, but we, we don't know what that is yet. Um, let's see. Okay. Now... Okay. Willow's wearing the shirt and this is the shirt that she is wearing when she's evil at the end of the season. This shirt comes back. It's like a black, roughly, um, maybe silk or satin crepey kind of material, um, with a bunch of snaps. Um, she's wearing it when she sees Tara. And this is the first time she's seen Tara in a while. And they just kind of have like an awkward little conversation, kind of like a catch up. And Willow tells her she's 32 days clean from spells. Um, and Tara's proud of her. And it's, it's a nice little sweet little conversation. Gives you hope for Willow and Tara, you know? Um, then we get one of the best uses of music. And there are a lot of good 
music cues in Buffy, but this is one of one of the better ones where Buffy is, I guess, that night, later the, in the day, that night, she's walking through the cemetery and she goes up to Spike's crypt door and he like senses her and Bush's Out of This World is playing. It's a beautiful song. And like she's outside like putting your hand on the door and he's inside putting his hand on the door. <laughs> and then she turns around and walks away and she's trying to resist. And um, then we get the plan that Jonathan or that w- Warren is enacting. Warren, Jonathan and Andrew. So they're fully accomplices at this point. They realize what they're doing and they're scared of Warren, so it's not, they're not as bad as him, but they're still helping with this whole situation. So there's all this time disturbance crap. Buffy's fighting some demons. Spike shows up to help her. Sometimes she's accidentally hitting him instead of the demons. And Katrina's there, and she looks like she's alive, and they just basically orchestrate it to make it look like Buffy has accidentally killed Katrina. Because she falls down a hill. And Buffy goes to check on her and she's dead. But it turns out like the alive Katrina was played by Jonathan who can show up as someone else for some reason. Like he does it twice. I don't know why (laughs) he can do it these two times and it just never comes back again. But whatever. Anyway, he can show up as someone else for some reason. He has some kind of glamour ability that he can do. So he has made himself look like Katrina and then they sub the body in the body of Katrina in at the bottom of the hill to make Buffy think that she has killed Katrina and Spike's there. So he sees the whole thing in kind of the same way that she does. We assume, um, or maybe the time fuck demons can only fuck time up for Buffy. We don't know what he sees or how he perceives this situation, but he recognizes at least that this girl is dead and it's Buffy's fault. And of course he, you know, he jumps in and he's supportive boyfriend right now, you know, and he just, you know, tells her that he will, that she needs to just go home, go to bed. He's going to take care of it. You know, he realizes that she's in shock and he kind of pulls her out of it. Like we need to go now. And he tells her he'll take care of it. And he also says, trust me again, like this is a theme. Um, and I think the connection between trust and love, the way that I kind of perceive it is being put forth in this episode as well. You know, like she can't trust him because she can't love him because she could never trust him. But anyway, so she goes home. We see her having some pretty fucked up dreams. It's a lot of sex and violence mixed together. Katrina sometimes playing the part of Spike and vice versa. Sex and violence. That's her dream. And she wakes up and she realizes she she needs to turn herself in which is totally consistent with Buffy's character that she would think that she needs to turn herself into the police because she accidentally, she thought she caused the death of Katrina. She doesn't realize it's Katrina at this point. I guess she didn't recognize her in the moment. 
Um, which makes sense because she only met her very briefly in I Was Made to Love You. And then she immediately goes home and finds her mother dead on the couch. So would you remember what this person looked like? <laughs> I wouldn't. <laughs> so um, it makes sense that she didn't really recognize her in that context. But, and she was in shock as well. So Buffy wakes Dawn up to tell her what happened. And Dawn reacts by hugging her. You know, like she says to her, like, there was an accident in the woods. A girl was hurt. And Dawn says, is she okay? And Buffy says, no. And I'm just, it's making me want to cry right now because, you know, this is just something that would happen in the life of a slayer. You know, I sometimes I take it too seriously. Okay. Um, and Dawn just hugs her because she immediately understands and empathizes like oh my god you know like she of course doesn't blame Buffy like no one would and Buffy of course is overreacting to the whole situation so she goes to the police station guess who's there and I mean for all the abusive boyfriend bullshit that we get from Spike in the season he is the only person that can anticipate what Buffy's going to do. He's the only person that really understands where she's coming from throughout the season. And so he's just waiting outside the police station because he knows as soon as she wakes up, she's going to go there and turn herself in. He knows that. And it's just so fucking sweet. And it's just, I think I'm mad at myself for for having all of these different, you know, like, of course I fucking hate Spike for all the manipulations of Buffy that he's been doing and for what he's going to do in a few more episodes. But I also love him because he's, he could, he's very empathetic. He totally understands her and he completely 100% loves her. Both of these things exist within the same character and it's confusing. You know what I mean? So don't feel bad if you love Spike because it's confusing. <laughs> um, normally I don't fall for the whole bad boy routine, but with Spike, it's convincing. It just is. <laughs> so he's waiting for her and he distracts her um, from turning herself in. He tells her she can't and he tries to stop her and she starts beating him up. And she says, a girl is dead because of me. And that's when he replies, and how many are alive because of you? Which is the exact, it's a parallel between a conversation that Buffy and Faith had in season three when Faith accidentally killed that deputy mayor. You know, because Faith's rationale was, well, we're slayers. You know, somebody's going to get caught in the crossfire sometimes. And... I don't want to cry about it. And that was her way of dealing with it. And I think it makes sense to me. Like, yeah, she was being a little weird and threatening and heartless about the situation, but given her past, what we know about faith and plus all the backstory that is in my head <laughs> that I made up about faith, it totally tracks that that would be her reaction to it. That's her way of making peace with the fact that she accidentally killed someone. And of course she feels bad about it. And so her and Buffy have a very similar conversation where Buffy's saying like, we have to go talk to Giles about what happened. We have to, 
you know, she's not necessarily advocating that Faith turn herself into the police when this happened. She recognizes that it was an accident. She was there. She saw it. She knows it was an accident. But it's the same conversation, you know. She's saying somebody's going to get caught in the crossfire sometimes. And that's her way of dealing with it. And it's it's a valid argument, I think, honestly. Like, nobody wants this to happen. But in a world where there are slayers and where, like, violence is a part of everyday life, like, every once in a while, this is going to fucking happen, unfortunately. And I don't think that this show really tackles that issue in the best way, you know, because their stance is just, you got to turn yourself in. Slayers are absolute. It's just absolute morals. Like it's very black and white in this show, which I just, I just don't think life is like that. But anyway, okay, where are we? So she starts, this is when she, you know, just starts beating Spike to a pulp, you know, just punching him and telling him that, that he's dead inside, that she's evil, that she could, that he's evil, that she could never love him and blah, 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 blah. And of course, all the shit that she's saying to him, she's partially saying to herself because she can't understand why she has any kind of feelings towards a soulless vampire. You know, she's always been drawn to the darkness or else she never would have been attracted to Angel. Like, yes, he had a soul, but he was still a vampire. And that her being attracted to darkness and having some darkness within her is a continual theme. And it's a continual theme that Buffy can't face that aspect of herself. But this is just taken to such extremes at this point. She's just, the self-loathing is just beyond that sort of sexy, there's a little bit of darkness in her kind of situation. This is full on, like, almost suicidal levels of darkness, you know? Okay. I think this is my last page. Yes. Okay. Um, Buffy goes back into the police station after she's, you know, Spike has distracted her long enough. And this whole, there's a moment where, you know, Buffy's beating the shit out of Spike. Spike has his vamp face on, but she's punching him so relentlessly that his human face comes out. So we're seeing his vulnerability essentially is, you know, the translation of that, right? So his human face comes out and you just see her completely beating her boyfriend to a pulp, you know? And of course I'm going to be completely on Buffy's side during the attempted rape scene in a few more episodes, but in this moment, you see just how fucking violent and fucked up their relationship is on both sides. Like maybe Spike is very manipulative of Buffy, but most of the time the violence is coming from Buffy to Spike, right? Like, yeah, he hits her too, but this is a I mean, yeah, this whole scene is an abusive boyfriend allegory, but it's not it's not explicitly that in this case, because Buffy is a slayer. She's stronger than Spike, you know, and seeing how, you know, this is one of those moments where he's allowing himself, like, 
of course, he doesn't have complete control over it, but he is to some extent allowing himself to be beat by Buffy, just completely beat up, beat to a pulp. Like he's got a swollen eye and all of that shit by the end of the scene because he's allowing that to happen because he cares about Buffy and he doesn't want her to turn herself in. And he's thinking, and he actually says, put it all on me, put it all on me. He is totally fine with that. He put himself in that position on purpose. So the lines of their relationship being very blurred between sex and violence, I'm just saying this is another establishing moment of that, right? This is how Spike feels love. This is part of the reason why he has to take a cold, hard look at himself and go get himself a soul at the end of the season. Because, yeah, anyway. Is this making any sense at all whatsoever? It feels like I'm saying profound shit, but who knows? Maybe I'm not. <laughs> Maybe I'm not. Please let me know if you think I'm saying profound shit by emailing me at mixtressray at protonmail.com. That's M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E at protonmail. Like the science thing, proton. <laughs> dot com. Okay. Please, seriously, because I just really don't even know who's listening since I don't really have a social media presence or anything like that. So, like, I have no idea who's listening to me. Anyway, um, and then at some point, um, Spike says to Buffy during this scenario where she's beating the shit out of him, you always hurt the one you love. Which, that's not the scenario here, but this is just another example of later Buffy quotes Spike in a different context because she says um, in a scene the next day when they're at the magic box, she says something about you always hurt the one you love, talking about Warren killing Katrina. And um, Dawn sort of like takes it personally and kind of storms off because Dawn is the one that's hurt by Buffy's actions in this episode. Dawn's the one that Buffy loves. There you go. Anyway, um, let's see. So Buffy goes into the police station. So I just jumped ahead the next to the next day. But Buffy goes back and goes into the police station after, you know, this whole thing when she beats Spike to a pulp and he can't get up to stop her at this point because she's completely beat him down. And she's about to turn herself in when one of the um, police officers takes a call and like he's saying everything out loud of course um and he says katrina's name and buffy walks out of the police station because she recognizes that okay something suspicious here if the woman that i killed is named katrina whatever her last name was so she recognized the person's name even though she didn't recognize her face before um and let's see where are we Okay, so the next, so we jump to the next morning. Anya is explaining the, this type of demon. So they found it in the book. So they've done research mode, I guess, and they found it in a book. And Anya's explaining this type of demon to Buffy and everyone else because she, she knows this shit. Anya gets to be the Giles. Now the Giles is gone, which is cool because she's, you know, a thousand year old ex-demon. 
Um, so she says um, that this particular type of demon, I forgot what it's called, creates a localized temporal disturbance. And so Buffy's, Buffy replies, so that's why time went all David Lynch. <laughs> and Anya says, this is the quote of the episode, by the way, just because I like the wording of this, like Anya just sounded so fucking smart during this scene, but she just said, human perception is based on a linear chronology. So the presence of this particular demon causes the localized temporal disturbance because humans can't see time in the same way, can't perceive time in the same way that these particular demons do. So when they're exposed to these demons, it creates the temporal disturbance. I don't know. It just sounded cool. I think it sounded, sounded really cool. <laughs> um, also, Anya gets outfit of the episode for this scene, even though we only see it for like a second. She's wearing sort of a dark olive gr green sweater that has kind of like a scoopy v-neck with sort of peasanty ruffles at the neckline and it's just like a really nice dark green sweater and then her pants are dark green but they have like bright hot pink f flowers on them it's kind of like a very retro 60s pattern on the pants and then she's wearing um little pink earrings pink flower earrings in her ears so it just kind of like goes with the whole vibe of the outfit it looks fucking great that's the outfit of the episode for sure um so this is when buffy says you always hurt the one you love i suspect the warren's behind this blah 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 dawn like storms off she's like so you're not gonna go away now um because I didn't even mention earlier, but whenever Buffy talked to Dawn about this and Dawn's like comforting her and then she says, I have to turn myself in. But Dawn says to Buffy something very, very true, which is, you know, you're going to go away. They're going to take you away and you're fine with that because you're not really here anyway. And she storms off and like, you know, it's a very like annoying Dawn teenager thing to like just storm off in the middle of a conversation. But it tracks. That's how teenagers are. You know, their brains aren't fully formed yet. That's how it goes. Like, it makes sense. And, you know, Dawn's pain at, you know, I mean, put yourself in her shoes, right? So your older sister um, dies shortly after your mother dies. These are the only two family members in your life. The only two people you live with. These two people are your entire world. You know, like we have no mention of grandparents ever in the whole course of the show. We know that dad is estranged. This is her entire family that she lost last year. And then her big sister comes back from the dead and she's overjoyed, but she's so fucking depressed that it's almost worse to see her older sister alive and in her presence, but completely apathetic towards life every single day. And like most of the time she isn't even around, but when she is, she's not really there. You know, I mean, it makes sense that Dawn would be very upset by everything all the time right now. So I know the inclination is to hate Dawn, but just try to think of things from her perspective because things are pretty shitty from Dawn's perspective. 
So then we cut to um, Andrew, Jonathan, and Warren are looking at, like, newspaper reports on the internet or something. And um, Warren says that it was ruled a suicide. So they're like, okay, we're going to be fine. So even though Buffy didn't get blamed for this, it's fine because they're still going to get away with it. And Andrew's response is, we got away with murder. That's pretty cool. So even though he was, and then Jonathan's looking around like, yeah, so cool. So we get the emotional, we get where they each are. Like Warren's evil. Andrew is willing to go along with it. Even though, like, he wasn't totally consenting to all the evil shit. Like, before this moment, Andrew and Jonathan have kind of been nerdy sidekicks to Warren, right? Andrew and Jonathan have kind of had a good relationship with each other and just sort of been sidekicks towards Warren. But this is the turning point where um, Andrew becomes sort of hyper bonded to and worshipful of Warren while Jonathan is definitely against all of this. And so this is the moment like Jonathan is not okay with this scenario anymore. Yes. He's been an accomplice. Yes. He's been on board with a lot of this stuff, but at this point he's not anymore. He thought that they were just doing some, some fun, nerdy, stupid magic shit and now he realizes that Warren's not okay. So this is the moment where this trio sort of divides, you know? Then the very last scene. Okay, this is the one that I cry the most in this episode. So it's just Tara and Buffy at Buffy's house. Tara's sitting on the couch. Buffy's sitting on like the coffee table across from her. And Tara's come to tell her about her findings when she looked into the spell. Why Spike can hurt Buffy, but no one else. What's up with that? And Tara says that there's nothing wrong with you. Um, basically, the spell altered Buffy on sort of a deep cellular level, but nothing, nothing more than just like some physical surface stuff. Like basically she's, she's herself, it's, she's just slightly different, just enough that it confuses Spike's chip, but she's not wrong. There's nothing wrong with her. And Buffy is so upset by this information because she knows something's wrong with her. You know, she wants, she wants an answer. You know, this is sort of like when you're profoundly depressed or like, not even necessarily that, but like for me personally, um, whenever I found out that I was autistic, it was a really, really big moment for me because being neurodivergent is just, my brain is wired differently than most people, you know? And I've known that my whole life, but to actually have a word for it. Like, oh, I'm autistic. Okay. That was so fucking comforting to me that there was a word for it, that there was an explanation, that there was a whole world of information 
about the way that my brain works that I was so excited. I was telling all kinds of people in my life that, you know, guess what guys, I'm autistic. Isn't that cool? And so many people were like, well, I don't think of you that way. I don't think you're autistic. And of course they were, they were not trying to invalidate me, but that's how I felt. And I, I can understand that in this moment, Buffy, she, she knows that this isn't her having sex with Spike having like possibly really like freaky weird sex with Spike. This isn't her. This isn't how she sees herself. This doesn't track with who she knows she is. And she wanted there to be something wrong. There wanted to be, wanted there to be something that she could fix. And because there isn't, she breaks down in this moment. And it totally makes sense to me. I'm going to try not to cry right now, just getting through the scene. But she asks Tara, like Tara gets it. She gets it pretty quickly. Like, you know, cause Buffy is really upset. She's like, are you sure nothing's wrong with me? Then why do I let him do these things to me? And Tara's like, you mean like hit you? And Buffy just sort of stares at her like on the verge of tears. And Tara's like, oh, oh. And she just gets it immediately. And Buffy just like pleads with her, please don't tell anyone. And Tara's like, of course I won't tell anyone. I wouldn't do that to you. And Buffy just says, why do I keep letting him in? And Tara, Tara is just so beautiful and understanding and empathetic. She's just the perfect person to know this information, you know, because she's actually completely compassionate, completely empathetic. And she just asks Buffy, do you love him? And Buffy's just sort of staring at her crying. And she's like, it's okay if you do, he's done a lot of good. And then she says, it's okay if you don't, you've been through a lot. And then Buffy's like, so I'm just using him. How is that? Okay. What's okay about that? And Tara says, it's not that simple. And it's right. You know, everything Tara's saying is right. You know, where she's just validating where Buffy is right now. She's meeting her where she is in this moment, which is something that like no one else in Buffy's life right now is really willing to do. Like Spike understands her, but he also is willing to manipulate her. Her friends love her, but they can't accept that she's not okay right now. But Tara is both accepting and empathetic and truthful with Buffy. You know, it's just her compassion is just so over overwhelming and beautiful and Buffy just loses it. And she just, the episode ends with Buffy just crying in Tara's lap, telling her, don't forgive me. Don't forgive me. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. And it's, this again echoes how the, those episodes in the last season, or was this season four? Was it four or five? It might've been four. Anyway. Yeah, it was four. In season four, when Buffy was in Faith's body and Faith was in Buffy's body, Faith in Buffy's body kept like practicing in the mirror saying, it's wrong. I don't do that because it's wrong. And the whole thing in that episode was she had to practice 
at you know the morality play she was doing the morality play like what's right what's wrong in the beginning but at by the end of the episode she knew what was right and wrong she felt it she internalized that morality that buffy has within her but this and this is echoing back to that because she's saying it's wrong what i'm doing is wrong what i'm doing is wrong she feels bad for how she's treating spike because he's another being sentient being right but also how can she this is exactly why buffy doesn't love spike because if she did love spike she could maybe reconcile this relationship but she can't reconcile this relationship because she is using him because she doesn't love him and it's just so beautifully written so upsetting I cry so much during this scene <laughs> that I can't even stop myself from crying right now while I talk to you guys about it. <laughs> and she's just begging Tara to not forgive her. And oh, it's just, this is so beautiful. And I kind of wish, I mean, from this moment on, there is a certain bond between Tara and Buffy. But... I wish we had seen more examples of it. I wish we had, we do see a little bit of sort of the bond between the two of them in the next episode, because like Buffy invites Tara to her birthday party, which is not something that she necessarily would have done before this moment. Um, but I just wish we had seen more of it, more of this relationship between the two of them, because they have a special connection because Tara just, she's just, she's the best. Anyway, <laughs> I just closed my notebook, but as if I was done talking, but I do still have my ratings to go through here. So let me pause and take a drink here. Okay. So I've already said the outfit of the episode is the olive green and hot pink Anya outfit towards the end object of the episode is Willow's shirt, just because it's a very, a very early 2000s gothic shirt that is totally out of place for Willow to be wearing it right now. It's almost like the costume designer knew that she would be wearing it later when she goes evil. And so like her first encounter with Willow or with Tara in a while, like it's almost feels premeditated to me that she's wearing the shirt. <laughs> um in this moment um so that is the object of the episode quote of the episode like i said was when um anya was explaining these sort of like time distortion demons and she says human perception is based on a linear chronology i don't know why it's even though it's not really a quote quote it's just like stuck in my head human perception is based on a linear chronology i mean it's just human perception it's just how we perceive things. It's like, that's not how time actually is. That's just how we perceive it. You know, it's not a straight line. Come on guys. MVP is of course, Tara. I mean, it has to be. Tara is, ah, she's like one of my top five characters of all time. Non-villain characters. One of my top five non-villain characters of all time, because most of my favorite characters in like any fiction are villains. Most of them. Most of them are. Five by five, like, despite the fact that this episode 
upsets me so much. I have to give it a high rating because it's really fucking good. It... I'm going to give it a 3.5 because it makes me cry because it's good. Like, I'm not crying because it's a bad episode. I would just be scoffing if it were a bad episode. You know what I mean? So there you go. That's how I feel about it. Um, I hope you guys have had a good week. I had like a, a big snow where I live. I live in Southwest Missouri. So there was a big, like awesome winter snow. I actually got a snow day off of work, a day that I was supposed to work a full eight hour shift. I didn't have to go in. It was amazing. I spent the day, oh my God, such a nerd activity, but I spent the day, um, I downloaded an app on my phone. That's like a, it's like a inventory app where you can like scan in the barcodes of like your book collection or your record collection or your collection of whatever. And, um, I used to use the app like a long time ago. It was like an iPhone app that I probably originally downloaded in like 2009 or 2010 or something like that. So it still had my information in it from back then. So I just spent the day like updating it and scanning in the things that I've gotten since the last time I used the app. And that was a lot of fun. I did make a realization that I no longer have the movie Real Genius, which is a problem. I need to reacquire that film. <laughs> but right now I'm doing a no internet February. So I'm um, only allowing myself to use the internet for an hour every Friday, <laughs> with the exception of like, I can upload this podcast and things like that. But, um, so <laughs> I will have to next Friday order myself another copy of Real Genius because that's an important 80s movie to me. And I don't know what happened to my copy. I just don't have it anymore. It's just gone. Did I loan it to someone? I have no recollection of this. Has it been gone for five years? Who knows? <laughs> but I am a person that still likes to have physical, um, movies like DVDs and stuff. It's just better when you can see your collection of things. You know what I mean? Anyway, so I hope you guys had a nice, I hope you guys had a snow day this week too, where you just got to stay home and look out the window at the beautiful glistening snow. Cause that's, that's what I got this week. It's very fleeting though. Like it's already like today it was like 40 degrees. So most of it is melting by like 48 hours from now. It'll probably all be gone, but at least we got a couple of magical days of snow last week um, or this week, whatever. I don't know. It's Sunday. Um, thank you guys for listening. And I will be back next week to talk about older and far away or older and further away. Something like that. I think it's just called older and far away. And that will be, you know, a pretty good not super upsetting episode of Buffy, which I'm looking forward to. See you then. Bye.